Hong Kong is facing the biggest political crisis since Britain handed the city back to China in 1997. For 10 weeks, protesters have shut down the city, stormed the legislature, and now they've closed the airport. Dozens have been arrested, and scores of protesters and policemen have been wounded in the clashes. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're asking why thousands of residents of Hong Kong are taking to the streets in increasingly violent protests against the city's leaders. We'll hear from one young resident of Hong Kong who attended some of the early protests about why the youth are up in arms over a bill that would allow the government to deport people to the mainland. We'll also hear her view of the worsening situation and also what her hopes for the future are. We've withheld her name so that she can talk freely. We'll also hear from David Schlesinger, the former editor-in-chief of Reuters news agency and an expert on Hong Kong and China. We'll ask David what's driving the feeling on the street, but also what he sees as the view from Beijing. Protests began in July, after Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, put forward a bill that would allow authorities to deport people to mainland China. This legislation was met with anger, especially from the city's youth, a number of lawyers and some lawmakers. To understand a bit about why there's so much anger about a bill that on the face of it is a common legal mechanism used all over the world, you have to understand a bit about the special status of Hong Kong. The city was a colony and a territory of the United Kingdom for more than 150 years, until London handed back the island to Beijing in 1997. But the legacy of British rule remains. While Hong Kong belongs to China, it has a different currency, political system and cultural identity to the mainland. They even speak a different language to much of China. Many in the city see themselves as fundamentally different to those on the mainland. When the island was handed back, the UK and China agreed that Hong Kong would safeguard the rights and freedoms of residents for 50 years. That's until 2047. This unique status for Hong Kong is referred to one country, two systems. Beijing agreed not to interfere in local rule, to try and impose its laws, or otherwise try and change the system. But that doesn't mean things have stayed the same for the 22 years since the UK left. Many are fiercely protective of the freedoms that they have and push back against anything they see as giving local power to Beijing. Miss Lam's bill about the extradition was seen as just that. She has agreed to suspend the bill, but that's done little to calm the anger. Because she said she suspended the bill, she did not withdraw the bill. And this narrow difference of language has people very paranoid that uh, she could at some point simply bring back the bill very quickly and push it through. That's David Schlesinger. Now the situation's gotten more complicated. Simply doing that is not going to calm people down. Now people want the demonstrations to be declared formally not a riot. They want the people who have been arrested for rioting to be given a pass. And they want a full investigation into some of the police brutality. And they want uh, an investigation into why it appears that the Hong Kong triads here to be beating up by demonstrators without any intervention from police. They are now bringing back some of the demands for a more direct democracy that uh, Beijing has simply ruled out. So there was a long negotiation of how that would actually look. And in the process, China promised that for 50 years after that 1997 date, Hong Kong would have a special degree of autonomy. What happens when that 50-year time frame runs out, which is in 2047, which actually is not that 
far away. For most of the protesters who are in their 20s, 2047 is just around the corner. It's going to be the peak of their adulthoods, and they will really have to deal with what will happen when China takes back full control. And that's not something that they really want to see, because Hong Kongers feel that they are, some, they are different. They're separate. They feel uh, a bit second class compared to some of the ways in which China has developed. But in terms of things like rule of law and in terms of a responsive uh, civil service and until these last few weeks in terms of a police force that people trusted and believed in, Hong Kong was miles ahead of China. Here's the Hong Konger that we spoke to who said that she'd attended a rally on July 1st. I went to the demonstration because I wanted to be part of Hong Kong. I wanted to come out to show to the government that Hong Kong people won't back down until the extradition bill is withdrawn. And actually shortly after July 1st, um, the bill was suspended. But suspension is not the same as withdrawal. Like the word suspension is just very suspicious. There have now been growing calls for democracy in the city. Hong Kong's political elite, many of whom are close to Beijing, still decide who's in charge. But this has been dismissed by some China experts. This is Victor Gao, the vice president of the Centre for China and Globalisation in Beijing. And I think the people in the world really need to see through the surface and see the realities on the ground. That is, this is not pro-democracy protests, because Hong Kong is a democracy to start with, and people actually have the legally protected rights to protest and to demonstrate. Mm. But you need to do that within the rules of the law. You cannot uh, do the illegal assemblage, for example, because that would be considered as unlawful assembly, and the police has full right to do whatever means possible to disperse the illegally gathered crowds in Hong Kong, as well as in almost all the other large metropolises in the world. At the start of the crisis, Beijing tried to stay out of the debate. This, they said, was an issue for Hong Kong to work out itself. Miss Lam has been heavily critical of the protests and has backed police in their battle against demonstrators. So I am indeed very worried uh, about this situation. And that's why I appeal for calm, calmness and rationality to help us to overcome this situation. A small minority of people, uh, as you have said, they, they did not mind destroying Hong Kong's economy. They have no stake in the society which so many people have helped to build. And that, that's why they resort to all this uh, violence and uh, obstructions causing huge damage to the economy and to the daily life of, of the people. But as the situation has escalated, Beijing has become more vocal. Thousands of protesters stormed the airport for a second day on Tuesday, forcing hundreds of flights to be cancelled and demonstrators detained two mainland Chinese men they suspected of being undercover police. Beijing on Wednesday said the act was terrorist-like. As clashes between the police and protesters has gotten worse in recent weeks, many were taken aback by the government's response. While authorities say they're confronting violent rioters, and indeed police have been pelted with rocks, beaten and assaulted, many are saying they were shocked to see the police fight back. I believe a lot of people like watch the news every day and see people get beaten up. And also Hong Kong people are very, very angry um, at the police and at the government because the police are just getting more and more ridiculous. Like they disguised as one of the protesters and they hit people like so violently. It's just a misuse of their power. And I'm just like really confused and at the same time angry at them. Um, and they're 
their excuse is like they're trying to arrest people and people are trying to fight them, but that's no excuse to use that much violence on the protesters. Even though, of course, the protesters are also getting violent, and I, do, I don't agree that um, they should throw stones at into police stations because they should be peaceful, but I definitely think uh, like most of the protesters are peaceful and the police are using excessive force. So what do people want to see happen now? And I think the government needs to take responsibility and start giving clear answers and to actually start having investigations on the excessive use of force by the policemen. It's a very dangerous situation in Hong Kong right now uh, because both sides have ramped up not only the level of rhetoric, but the level, level of violence. It's very difficult to figure out how either side will back down. And there seems to be no clear leadership from the Hong Kong government that could provide a way out either. So at the moment, you have protesters who started off and who, for the most part, are quite um, nonviolent and good-natured and young, and yet the protests have become violent. Then you have the Hong Kong police, which began by being basically quite tolerant, but now there's been a lot of violence and brutality on the police side, including using tear gas, a quite brutal baton attacks, uh, shooting rubber bullets. And then on the China side, where first China said this is Hong Kong's business, yesterday they said that there was terrorism. And in fact, we can see that there are massing and uh, movements of the People's Armed Police, uh, basically China's militia, just across the border from Hong Kong in Sanjian. So there's been a, um, a real ramp up of rhetoric, a real ramp up of pressure, a real ramp up of violence, and no good signs of how any of the parties to this problem can back down from it. That's David again. Now, people are calling for Miss Lam to quit. But David says that while she can't do much at this point without the say-so of Beijing, the central government still has faith in her. So she's likely to stay on. And as David points out, there are no obvious successors. So the big question mark is over what Beijing will do next. They appear to have brought security forces close to the border, but are yet to intervene directly. A real issue is how is China going to react? China has a lot of problems. Hong Kong trade war with the US. The last thing China really needs is for the West to start slamming sanctions on it the way it did after Tiananmen Square. I think that might be one argument against uh, China moving in with, uh, with all force. However, Xi Jinping, China's president, does not want to appear weak before his people. Uh, and certainly the Chinese Communist Party does not want to have any kind of sympathetic demonstrations happening across the border. The other thing to keep in mind, of course, is the issue of Taiwan, the, uh, the island off the coast of China, which has ruled itself like a country, but which China continues to maintain is part of China. So China continues to have the hope and dream that sometime very soon, Taiwan will integrate into China in the same kind of way Hong Kong did with the one country, two systems type of model. Beijing might look to its financial clout to try and dissuade more protests. I think what you'll see is what China did with Cathay Pacific, Hong Kong's uh, flagship airway, which basically where they said, 
hey, anybody of your flight staff who participated in these uh, demonstrations can't fly to China anymore. So all of a sudden, Cathay Pacific said, oh, okay, and warned its staff that if they participated in uh, demonstrations, they'd be fired. China holds the business card, and probably the before sending in any troops, Beijing will ramp up the commercial pressure on the airlines, on banks, on manufacturers. The people in the demonstrations, in the protests, will face a real dilemma about their livelihood, their futures, and their beliefs. So my best guess is that China and the authorities will try to have the demonstrations burn themselves out. That does not solve any of the underlying problems. This this one is more serious. Most of the people involved don't want to push things to a brink. Most people don't want violence. I, I think there's a chance that if the government starts to make some moves about listening better, about responding better, about simple acts like opening investigations into police brutality. Acts like those could help to defuse the situation. But the real question is, does the Hong Kong government, does Carrie Lam have the courage to do something like that? If not, I think the situation will just continue to deteriorate. There's also something deeper that David sees as an underlying issue to the demonstrations. That's about how the demographics, economy and way of life has changed in the city in recent years. Hong Kong was once a dominant financial centre in the region, but with the rise of places like Shanghai, the sheen has left the city. As the island has developed, spaces run short and property prices and rents have skyrocketed, but incomes have stayed largely the same. The route to a comfortable life for many people seems unobtainable. One of the real problems in Hong Kong is that the gap between rich and poor, which has always been there, has grown. And most of the businesses are, and most of the lands, controlled by a very few oligarchical families. Starting wages for university graduates are actually lower than they were 30 years ago. These days, even if you graduate from university, people end up living with their parents. It's very hard to, to uh, save up money for a down payment on a house. It's, it's not a place where there's a lot of hope at the moment because a lot of the most innovative things, and uh, like high-tech jobs, that's happening over the border. Now, China has a plan for what it calls the, the Greater Bay Region, which links up Hong Kong with this uh, with, with the other cities around in China, in the Greater Bay Area. But for that to work, for, for, for true integration, then you actually have to have the same laws and the same policies, or, or it's not easy for business to actually do work. So Hong Kong needs a lot of change. It needs um, a shakeup in the way it does education, I think. It needs a much more innovative environment to uh, encourage people to be entrepreneurs, it needs a, a completely new uh, type of political system. All these things have to happen together before young people in Hong Kong feel that they that their 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 future is there and not trying to get a, a university place or a job overseas. So what happens next is of great concern, both to those in Hong Kong and for onlookers. Will these demonstrations mark a decline in the city's special status, or will Miss Lam negotiate her way through this? What's clear is that while the extradition bill may have sparked the current crisis, there's a lot of simmering long-term issues that underpin it. We asked our resident about her hopes for the future. In 2047, when the city's special status lapses, she'll be just 50 years old. 
So I hope most of all that the rule of law should be upheld because our legal system will not be eroded no matter how people try to erode it. Uh, I hope that there will be universal suffrage for choosing the chief executive in Hong Kong. To compare with the other objectives, um, this is less important, but I hope this is, this is the goal for Hong Kong and I hope we can achieve it one day. But I'm not very optimistic that we can achieve it. And also, of course, I hope that the housing problems in Hong Kong can be eased, not by reclaiming more land, but by better policies. For example, at the immigration and investment restrictions, we uh, should restrict people from immigrating to Hong Kong and we should restrict the uh, investments uh, in the property in Hong Kong. Thanks this week to David Schlesinger in London and a resident in Hong Kong. To hear more, tap the subscribe button in your podcast app to get all the latest beyond the headlines. And check out more of our coverage at thenational.ae. We were produced this week by Arthur Edison, with assistance from Hannah Finity. I've been your host, James Haynes-Young.